This message first aired on the radio on February 4th, 2004. We've been studying for the last couple of times, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and my initial tendency would be to just move along here. We finish the 11th chapter and just go on into the 12th chapter where we take up spiritual things in a general general term. It's a very exciting portion that we're coming to. Bit of a I'm a bit of a guy, like many of you fellows are, that I get on a certain road and I want to conquer it and get there as fast as I can. But in the case of dealing with the scriptures here, I think it's good to slow down a little bit and to take these last couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 11 and take it apart a little bit, maybe use the opportunity that we have here in this portion to understand the subject of judgment a little bit better. The subject of judgment. I think judgment is something that is often taken out of context. It is not a very well understood matter. There are several judgments of God, different time frames that we need to take into consideration. Of course, one of the most misquoted scriptures that you can find in the whole Bible by believers and unbelievers both is, Judge not, lest you be judged. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I have already passed through judgment for my sins in that I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and I've passed through death into life because his judgment was my judgment. So that scripture does not apply to me, but there are some other scriptures that do apply to me. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which we covered some weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, told us that the spiritual man judges all things, but he himself is judged by no man. Then we came to the fourth chapter where our example servant, the Apostle Paul, told the Corinthians that he he wasn't concerned about their judgment of him. In fact, he said, I don't judge my own self. I know nothing against myself, but the one that judges me is the Lord. Now he's saying, judge your own self. Uh, If you are not careful about the way that you look at the scriptures, you're going to say there are contradictions here. And, uh, of course, if you're wrestling with the Scriptures and you don't understand the context, you might say uh, these are apparent contradictions. But they're not apparent contradictions. They're not contradictions at all. God has several judgments. There's several time frames for each judgment. And until we understand that, uh, we won't have a good handle on the Scripture. We won't enjoy it. We won't understand it. And, of course, our purpose in BibleStudy.net is to help you understand the Scripture so that you can function better as a Christian accordingly. And so, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let me just read the few verses that inaugurate this topic, and then I'll tell you where we're going from here. But we see in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, and the context is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, which ordinance is set forth for us to practice that we might keep a good conscience and happy fellowship with God and with one another. And uh, that ordinance is to be practiced to remind us of what we shouldn't need to be reminded of, but what we do need to be reminded of because we still struggle with dual natures. We have this nature of sin that we struggle with along with the new nature that God has given to us. So he appoints a time for us to remember him, think about him, and bring ourselves into self-judgment. So here it says, verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now this examination of oneself 
is the same word for put yourself on trial. It is our friend dokamazo, which is which is the same word for dokimos, judgment, or adokimos, without judgment. And so here it says, let a man examine or let a man try himself, let a man put himself on trial, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of the cup. So what should happen before we participate in the Lord's Supper together is that we should each have put ourselves on trial well, do whatever it takes when one is put on trial. And we'll look at that a little bit. But, of course, what happens is that there's a, f- a finding of fault, yea or nay, when one is put on trial. And then there is the appropriate sentence placed upon any offending party. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do in verse 28. And we're supposed to find out if we're guilty, declare ourselves guilty, and then apply the appropriate sentence. What is the appropriate sentence for a believer who is guilty? Why that sentence? We look at the Lord Jesus Christ. It was placed upon him, and we say the appropriate sentence for my sins was the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we show forth his death until he comes, and we go free. We go free. Of course we're free, because he died for all of our sins. That's the application of verse 28, but we're going to talk about the various judgments of God so that we understand where this self-judgment fits in the entire plan of God. Verse 29, He that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. That's what this word condemnation or judgment to himself. So you either judge yourself or you're asking for judgment by God. And uh, we'll talk about that also because it comes up in this passage. Now it says, for this cause, he drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In fact, he fails to discern in the symbols the body of Christ, whether it be the body of Christ, the fullness of him, which is the church, which is his body. Fail to judge the fact that you're in a society that stands for God here on earth below or whether you fail to discern the fact of his blood shed for your sins by willfully refusing to judge yourself in the matter when in fact he died for the very sins that you have committed since the last time you judged yourself. Now, uh, it says, verse 31, and this is the key, for if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Well, we'll look at what that judgment is because it's not the judgment that you may think it is. And we're going to look at the judgment of the believer. And we see this here. It says, But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be, what? Condemned with the world. So, God has a special judgment laid out for believers, and He does that exactly in order that we would not be condemned with the world. Romans chapter 8, There is no condemnation therefore for those who are in Christ. And so now let me introduce then, I'm just taking an opportunity here to talk about the various and sundry judgments that God has. And how many does he have? Well he has very many. Depending on the time context that we take we can see that God's all of God's ways are judgment. In fact every one of his ways are judgment. So we have infinite numbers of God's judgment 
So I'm only going to take a little piece. We don't have infinite time to take up infinite judgments, and of course, I don't understand them all anyway. But I do understand six different judgments that God has, and we're going to use the opportunity of an occasion of the end of the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians to delve right into that. So the first one of these six judgments I want to take up is the judgment of sin and Satan and the world. This is a judgment that's past. This is something that's already done. And in order for us to find that, we're going to go back to John, the 12th chapter. The 12th chapter of John is situationally in a very nice place in the scripture. It's a place where we're transitioning from the historical account of the three and a half years of our Lord Jesus' ministry. He's coming to his last Passover, and he's on the brink, the the account of John, he's on the brink of his passion and death, and the account of John, beginning with the 13th chapter, all the way to the end of the book, is his passion, death, and resurrection, just up to his ascension. So we have really compression of time going to go on in John 13 where he slows down and discusses in vast detail exactly what his death is going to mean. But prior to that, here in this transitionary chapter of John chapter 12, we see the Lord explaining some things that the apostles aren't going to get, neither are the Jews around him, they're not going to get it until later. And you know, we might not get it until later in our lives too. Uh, This is something that we don't really get all about before we've received Christ as our Savior. This is something we learn about, the depth of the riches of his love, the comprehensiveness of his plan. We learn that uh, after we've received Christ as our Savior. So it's a good time to learn it right now. We'll look here in John chapter 12, and we see verse 27, the Lord speaking, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Now there are those who tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to be delivered from this hour, but he did not want to be delivered from this hour. In fact, he says here, what should I say? Deliver me from this hour? This is the reason I came. I came to die. You say, well, elsewhere he prays in Gethsemane. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, he said that for our benefits. If it was possible, it would have passed from him. It wasn't possible. What was the possibility he was talking about? Well, he's laying out the really absurd possibility that there's some other way to achieve death for sin or the forgiveness of our sins. But there was no other way, and so he said... If it's possible, let this pass. Now, it didn't pass, and so we know, because God the Father always answers the Son in his prayers, that it was not possible for the, for God to save us any other way. So here the Lord speaking. He said, Now is my soul troubled. Father, verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Well, this is another occasion, and there are many occasions in the Scripture. There are at least three occasions where God the Father speaks vocally in behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is one of them. There's a testimony from the most excellent glory, as Peter said, that they heard. Now, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, 
but for your sakes. And of course, there are very many voices that came, very many statements that came merely for our sakes. If we were to study John's gospel now from 13 on, especially through, through 17, we would see even the Lord declares this. I said this for their sakes who hear so that we'd realize exactly what he's doing because we don't understand the Lord's death for our sins except that he tells us in his word. Well, now he says this most amazing thing, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. So remember, we called this the judgment of sin, Satan, and the world. We see it here in verse 31, the Lord Jesus Christ following now with the 32nd, 33rd verse, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, speaking of his crucifixion, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying the manner of death that he should die. And so this lifting up, this has to do with the cross. In John's Gospel, every time we see lifting up, it has to do with the cross. And on one occasion, it's called exalt him. Well, of course, he's not exalted at the cross, except as we see through the eyes of faith in the great heroic achievement that he has. But the cross was at once his great victory and triumph. At the same time, it was his shame to those who saw the shameful death. He was obliged to die. Why? For our sins. For my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the whole world. So here the Lord Jesus Christ brought to judgment sin, Satan, and the world. Notice he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Now when we think about judgment, we have to realize that there is the discovery phase wherein it's discovered who's guilty, who's not guilty, what are the facts, and so forth. And a determination is made. Then, later, after that, there is a sentencing phase. And in order to sentence properly, the culpability of the guilty party has to be determined so that this sentence can meet the crime. Well, the whole world here is judged. Sin is judged. Satan is judged. What is left, therefore, for the world? Well, sin has been judged, so now what is left for the world is the sentence or there's the choice given. That's why God commands all men everywhere to repent. The world is now given a choice. You either receive the judgment of your sins in the person of Christ or you suffer the consequences of the judgment of the world there at the cross. That's why when we bring the Word of God to people, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we really bring a two-edged sword. On the one hand, it is the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. On the other hand, God commands you to change your mind and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, or you will suffer the consequences, which is the condemnation of the world. Now, for those who have believed in him, we found in 1 Corinthians, for it tells us, that when we're judged, it is so that we will not be condemned with the world. So we have the judgment of the world in the cross of Christ. In fact, if we looked at Colossians 2 and verse 4, we would see there, through the eyes of faith, the scripture says, the Lord Jesus Christ in his cross made an open show in the heavenly places 
triumphing over them in his cross. And so the prince of this world was also judged. He was also judged. Who's the prince of this world? Well, it's Satan. And if you don't understand that title of him as the prince of this world, let me assure you that those who heard the Lord Jesus Christ, those Jews who were listening on, they understood it. Well, we'll be back with more discussion of judgment after this brief message. Do stay with us, will you? Because this is some good stuff. When we discuss the judgment of Satan, for example, and the judgment of the world, and we understand that the judgment phase is one thing and the sentencing phase is another thing, understand that in this particular case where Satan was judged at the cross of Christ, that there was immediate sentencing to Satan at that time. He was cast out. The Lord told us in verse 31 of John 12, Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. Cast out of where? Well, cast out of the highest heaven. He was cast out of the heavenly access to the throne of God that he once had. We can read about it at Job. He was cast out from there. I believe he was cast into the lower heaven. And by the way, his judgment has not been fully carried out. Today, he's still the God of this world. He is still behind the wicked spirits in the heavenly places. And one day, and we read about it in the book of the Revelation, we read in chapter 12 that Satan will be cast out of the air and he'll come down, he'll be cast into the earth. And when he's cast into the earth, he will have his brief time of wrath as Satan's wrath corresponds to a time of great tribulation for the nation of Israel. We can't go too far into that or we'll lose our topic today of the judgments of God, but we have the first one there at the cross of Christ, the judgment of sin, of Satan, and the world. Now let me assure you we could say very much more about the work of the cross of Christ, glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're tempted to do that, but we want to bring also into this lesson, we want to bring in the next five judgments that we're taking up. We're taking up six judgments. We want to go to the second judgment. Now, the second judgment that we have is this one that we studied and that we found in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. That is self-judgment. Self-judgment. We are to judge ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11, if we judge ourselves, will not be judged. Now, this is your opportunity to escape the judgment, not for your sins, that one's already done, but the judgment for your unfaithfulness. There is a time, be not deceived, as the scripture said, as the apostle has taught us heretofore in 1 Corinthians, don't be deceived. There will be an accounting. We will all give an account. That's the next judgment, but right now is self-judgment. Erect your own judgment. If you'll judge yourselves, will not be judged. Now, some people say, well, that's too easy. I just set up a judgment of my own in my own thoughts as I examine myself and I declare myself guilty before God. That's too easy. Well, I have two things to say uh, to those who claim that this self-judgment is too easy. The first I want to say to those believers who say, you know, that's too easy, the first thing I want to say to you is, if it's so easy, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? Now, maybe you say, I do that, I, it's easy, oh, it's you. 
hey, listen, I'm a Christian. I know what it is to have a new nature. I know my Lord Jesus Christ. I know my Father in heaven. I have an excellent relationship with them available to me, and I don't always do it. So what is it with you that you say it's real easy? If it's that easy, why don't you do it? Yeah, well, of course, if it were that easy and it was something that we didn't even have to think about doing, the Lord would not create a tradition for us whereby we observe symbols and bring ourselves to the place of, oh, wait a minute, have I judged myself properly here? And, of course, during that time, it's not too late. Go ahead and judge yourself so that you don't come in an unworthy manner. But as you gain experience, of course, and this is why we ought to have the Lord's Supper frequently enough to keep a close account with God, is that we would judge ourselves from time to time in the matter where we fail to do so. Now, you don't need to wait for the Lord's Supper to judge yourself. Every child of God has the privacy of his own conscience before God. He has his own thoughts. God's accessible at all times. We come in a new and living way. We boldly can come to the throne of grace and declare our own guilt at any moment. That's what we should do. So this second judgment is the one we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 11, self-judgment. Self-judgment. So the first answer I give to the one says it's too easy, then why don't you do it? The second answer I give to the one that says it's too easy just to do that is I'll ask you this. Was the cross of Christ easy for him? Of course, it wasn't easy for him. He paid the price we could not pay. He went the way no one else could go. And so instead of saying it's too easy, you say, yes, it's free to you. But Jesus Christ earned that easiness He won that easiness the old-fashioned way. You see, he got it the old-fashioned way. He earned it. Our salvation is not free except to us. There's no such thing as a free salvation. There's only one that is free to me or free to you because Jesus Christ earned your salvation through his work. So when we say it's the free gift of God, of course, we don't say it's unpaid or stolen. We say it's free to us because he paid that price, and it wasn't easy for him. So don't you disparage the Lord Jesus Christ by telling me that my self-judgment is easy because it might be easy for me, and it might not be easy for me, by the way, but it wasn't easy for him, and so why don't we just do it? This is the wonderful opportunity that we have. Now, many of you may say this, well, I've, all my sins have been forgiven. Well, all of my sins have been paid for at the cross. Why do I need to confess them? Why do I need to judge myself? The simple answer to that is because God told you to. That's the simplest answer. You do it because God said so. But in light of our rendezvous with him, you see, we all have one hope of our calling, brothers and sisters, just one. And the hope of our calling is it will be pleasing to him. Well, when? When we rendezvous with him. And that brings us to the third judgment of God. So we have, first, the judgment for sin at the cross of Christ, sin, Satan, and the world. Secondly, we have our self-judgment, which is today, every day, any day. You're listening to my voice. I'm preaching about our need, mutual need, to judge ourselves in the matter of our sins and unfaithfulness to God here below. Just take this moment and do it. You can do it anytime. Do it now. 
Third judgment. We have one coming. Why should you judge yourself now? So that you won't be judged. And of course, on the face of it, if there's no judgment coming for us, it's a nonsense statement to say, judge yourself and you won't be judged. Because after all, if you judge yourself, you have been judged. So if when the scripture says, if, you, if we judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. The obvious statement is, the obvious conclusion is, if we don't judge ourselves in these matters where we examine ourselves and find ourselves at fault, then we will be judged. Now, happily, by the way, the Lord knows our frame, that we're dust. He knows our failure, and he becomes persuasive with us here below. So God is not inclined, if you say, no, nah, I'm not going to judge myself, he's not inclined to leave you alone about that. And he will bring certain disciplines into your life. He'll bring certain chastisements into your life. In fact, I call it the woodshed. Many others also do. God will drag his children off to the woodshed and give you a serious beating there, spiritually speaking. He'll give you a serious whooping in the woodshed. Now, you say, how do you know? Well, because I have spent and continue to spend a fair amount of my time in God's woodshed. I know the drill. I feel like my grandchildren. Uh, my grandchildren, when they get their discipline, they go get the stick themselves. Now, they know the drill, and uh, they just take themselves right on into the whatever convenient little woodshed uh, for that purpose happens to be nearby, and uh, that's just like their grandpa. Uh, I know when I'm in the woodshed lots of the times, and I'm there frequently. It's never a pleasant place, but I realize uh, that my Father in Heaven, he's, uh, it's for my good, and he's not out to ruin me or destroy me. He's just there to correct me so that I'd not be condemned with the world. But, friends, there is also this third judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and we will all appear there together it's a historical event, and when God calls us out of this world in the first part of the, in the, well, we could say the second part of the first resurrection, after all, the first resurrection began with our Lord Jesus Christ, but when he calls us out of this world as part of the first resurrection, and those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and we that are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air, and will forever be with the Lord, will commence our forever being with the Lord with this grand event that concerned the Apostle Paul and it concerns me and ought to concern you, the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Romans uh, tells us about it. We will all be made manifest at the judgment seat of Christ. Of course, the third chapter here, 1 Corinthians, said we should live our lives in light of it. We should live our lives. The hope of our calling is that at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll have great boldness. We'll have great freedom of speech because our accounts are right with God. We haven't hid from God. We have judged ourselves, so we're not going to be judged. We're going to be there then. If we're not going to be judged and found at fault, our works will remain, and we will be rewarded there. And we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to just be a child of God. I want to be like Abraham. I want to be a child of God, live like a child of God, and be called the friend of God. I want that. The Apostle Paul wanted that. If you're born again, you want that. You want that. It's in the new nature. To desire, there's an answer in you suddenly 
to the things that God offers you. And he offers you a clear conscience here below and great boldness and joy at that time instead of shrinking back and dreading the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know God will reward you simply for loving his appearing? Now, how are you going to love his appearing if you got your old, nasty, bad conscience walking around all day long? You're not going to love his appearing. You're going to dread his appearing. You're not going to think about it. But God will reward you simply for loving his appearing. Now, you can't just turn that on. How will you love his appearing? Judge yourself. Examine yourself. There is some new nature in you that does love his appearing, that longs for his appearing, that yearns as the apostle yearned to be clothed upon with your house from on high. Well, that's the judgment seat of Christ. It's the next event for us. We should live our lives in light of it. Let's not live our lives in the shadow of death. Let's live our lives in light of the judgment seat of Christ and our hope is that we'll be pleasing to him at that time. Now, God has another judgment besides these three. They don't pertain to me. Uh, these next judgments uh, don't have anything to do with me, but as I read them in the Scripture, they may have to do with you, and we do have the great privilege, even though this doesn't apply to me, these next three judgments don't apply to me, I have the wonderful privilege of being able to understand the plan of God and also the privilege to explain it to you. So here we have the fourth judgment of God I want to lay out, I want to talk about, and that is the judgment of Israel. The judgment of Israel. Oh yeah, we think about Israel every day these days. It's Israel's in the news. Uh, Israel's the greatest trouble spot on earth. It's the navel of the world. That's what the Bible says, the belly button of the world. And uh, that little country uh, just can't keep itself out of the world's attention because the nation of Israel is the pupil of God's eye. That's what he says. He says Israel is the pupil of his eye. And there's nothing you would not sacrifice, friend, for the pupil of your eye. If a missile is coming toward your eye, you will sacrifice your hand, your arm, your foot, your head, anything, your cheek, you'll turn away anything to keep something from hitting the pupil of your eye. And Israel is the pupil of God's eye. So don't mess with it. Now, that being said, Israel, if you think it's trouble messing with Israel, it's more trouble, Israel, to mess with God. And that's exactly what Israel has done. Israel has messed with God. They rejected the Son of God nationally. I know it's all the rage that these days we're hearing about this movie that's coming out, and I'm sure I'll see it, uh, called The Passion, and I'm sure it won't be accurate according to the Scripture, but there'll be some good things. And let me say this, the whole issue in light of that movie is Israel's guilt for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Israel has guilt for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't even know any, there can't be any other fact of history more certain than that. Now, do they have guilt all by themselves for the death of Christ? Well, why is that even relevant? What is relevant is Israel has blood guiltiness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, he didn't come to any other nation. 
He came to us, Gentiles, former Gentiles. I'm formerly a Gentile. He came to me through emissaries. He didn't come personally. I don't care what your Mormon friends tell you. He didn't come over to America. That's ridiculous. He sent his apostles. And he sent his apostles first also to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is under the judgment of God. Now, that's a fact. You rejected the Son of God. That was a bad thing to do, Israel. That was real bad. That's why he has set you aside. You should not have done that. But there's still grace for every Jew who, who cares to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I say the judgment of Israel did not happen at the cross of Christ because, after all, the Lord Jesus Christ said what? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And so there, Israel wasn't judged at the cross of Christ. God, very patient, he came out to Israel. He sent his apostles. Well, he rose from the dead. He appeared to many eyewitnesses, and he sent his apostles to the nation Israel, but they didn't believe them either. Well, we've come to a break here in the action. We've got many more good things to say. Please stay with us. I'm John Malone. You're listening to BibleStudy.net. Well, I'm not especially doctrinaire on when finally the nation of Israel was judged. I think it could be that they were finally judged when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. The judgment of Israel was coming along after the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. They also rejected the apostles and uh, jailed them, but especially they killed Stephen and they killed the apostles. And you may say, well, Israel wasn't responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ all by themselves. But let me tell you, they were certainly responsible for the death of Stephen. Even the apostle Paul had responsibility for the death of Stephen when he was in enmity against God and against his people. But he did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And when the Lord Jesus Christ stood up as the high priest, when he stood up, that meant judgment was starting. Judgment was starting at the death of Stephen. And the nation of Israel was being judged. At the end of the book of Acts, in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, the very last thing, the apostle Paul speaks words of very serious judgment to the nation of Israel. And what does he say? Well, he says that you have rejected the word of God. You not only rejected the Savior when he came, but you've rejected the 12 who came to you, and you're also rejecting the Apostle Paul. He rejected Stephen. Which of the prophets didn't the nation of Israel reject? Paul says in Acts 28, Well spoke the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. Verse 26, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Well, the nation of Israel rejected nationally the word of God. Of course, we've studied there's a remnant according to grace. There are those of you out of the nation of Israel who are remnant, 
who will believe and have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the judgment of Israel is secured now. The sentencing of Israel has not yet taken place. What is the sentence of Israel? Well, Israel's sentence, and this is a sad thing. I don't rejoice in it at all. But it's a sad thing, but a necessary thing, that the sentencing of Israel will be the great tribulation and will correspond to the time of the great wrath of Satan when he's cast out of the, the second heaven onto the earth. And he knows he has a short time. And at that time, there will be a working of error upon the earth. There will be uh, more, uh, which we see in mystery form, by the way, there'll be more deceit upon the earth than there is even now. And Israel will try to make peace with the man whom Satan occupies. He'll uh, defeat them, and he'll become the man of sin. For three and a half years, Israel's judgment will be carried out at the hands of the man of sin. It will be a time worse than has ever been known. It will make the Syrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity seem like child's play, and that's the sentence that Israel has brought on to themselves. Well, that's a judgment of God. All of his ways are judgment, and that's a judgment of God. You say, what a horrible thing. How shall we escape such a judgment? Well, here's the good news. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is called gospel, meaning good news. The good news is you can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and you won't be consigned to that awful judgment, that awful sentence that is the time of Jacob's trouble, also known as the time of the tribulation, the great one, that awaits the nation of Israel. Well, the sentence of the world will follow that. We have the prophecy of Zechariah where it tells us that Israel was in affliction, and the Gentiles came along and helped forward the affliction. Maybe if you've been listening through this whole broadcast, you heard me talk about being in God's woodshed. The example of the Gentile nations during the time of the Great Tribulation is that Israel will be chastened of God, and uh, it's as if a man sees a man giving his son a beating, and he decides to join in and picks up his stick and starts beating that man's son also. Well, what do you think that man will do to you for beating his son? That's his business. Well, he'll beat you, silly. And that's what's going to happen to the world. The world will jump in and persecute Israel. And when God saves Israel, because he will save Israel through that great tribulation, he'll save the nation of Israel at the last moment, and he will open up a can of whoop-ass on the world. Now, I know my wife doesn't like me to put it that way, but friend of mine, let me tell you that when you pick a fight with God, you have got a very serious problem on your hands. And the Gentile nations are just chomping at the bit to pick a fight with God. They're doing it right now, and God's being very patient. He's giving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ out, but there's a day coming when God will answer the bell and he will whip up on this world. That will be after he puts Israel through that judgment. So that's the fourth judgment that we're taking up out of six. It's the judgment of Israel. Now we have the fifth judgment, which, for lack of a better term, we're going to call the sheep-goat judgment, and we read about it 
in Matthew the 25th chapter, and it has its context, and the context is easily distinguished if you'll read the 25th chapter of Matthew, if you read that, that portion. It's the first time in the scripture where the Lord Jesus Christ is called the king. Now, he was born king of the Jews, and he is the king of the Jews. There's no question about that, but here there's a prophecy where in present tense, he is called the king. Here we read it in Matthew chapter 25. It says, verse 31, here's the context. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So there will be an earthly throne of the Lord's glory that he will sit upon when he comes in his glory. Now, he did not come in his glory the first time. He came with his glory veiled by his flesh. Now, though he veiled his glory, when he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he shone forth and his glory peeped out, and uh, Peter, James, and John saw his glory. As John says in his gospel, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, or the only one of his kind of the Father, full of grace and truth. There were eyewitnesses to his glory, but when he comes back, he will come back in his glory. That's what it means, behold, he comes with clouds. That's the glory, that's the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory that departed from the temple. That's the clouds of glory that filled the tabernacle in the wilderness and filled the temple when Solomon built it. It is the glory that departed at the time that the temple was called Ichabod, and it hasn't been seen since, except in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. So when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, all the holy angels with him, then he'll sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, or all peoples, that's what that should say, all peoples, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, gave me meat. I was thirsty, gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then answer the righteous unto him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you to drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and gave you clothes? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now that's a time yet future. And here's the future time when the peoples or the nations who survive the time of Jacob's trouble and the time of the Lord's enmity against the Gentile nations, that he'll call the nations before himself when he returns to earth, and he'll judge those nations according to how they treated his brethren during the time of the Great Tribulation. This is not about me. This is not about you. I don't have to ask the Lord Jesus Christ anything about when did I see you. I don't receive his favor by giving cups of water or feeding his brethren. I am one of the brethren, and uh, you're not going to get his favor by feeding me. That's for sure. What you have today is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in that day things will change and his people will be persecuted all throughout the world and those who treat Israel properly, his people, Israel, his brothers and sisters, those who treat them well despite the great persecution of that day will curry the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is the judgment of the nations, and it will take place not at the judgment seat of Christ. It hasn't already taken place. They're not going to get judged at the same time of Israel. These will be judged when he comes, and he'll separate those who have curried his favor from those on his left hand. He'll say unto those on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that brings us to the sixth judgment. God has prepared everlasting fire for the devil and his angels. That is called the lake of fire. The lake of fire. And this lake of fire is a preparation of God. It's a special creation of God called the second death in Revelation chapter 20. This is the judgment that God has for the devil and his angels. But if you want to follow the condemned devil and the wicked angels that follow him, if you want to join them, God will let you. I know that's a terrible statement, but it is the truth. If you want to join the devil and his angels, God will let you. Then you will join them in their inheritance, which is the lake of fire. And so in Revelation chapter 20, we have the sixth judgment of God, that after the Lord Jesus Christ, who sat on that throne and judged the nations at the beginning of his thousand-year reign, he will erect, after that time, God will erect another throne, the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20, verse 7. And now it won't be those who are alive on the earth that will be judged, but God will resurrect every single person who's ever lived, and he will judge them according to their works. And if they're found written in the book of life, then they'll be with God forever. But if their names are not found in the book of life at that great white throne judgment, then they will also be cast into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, I've been a little bit rapid through this, but I wanted to lay out these six judgments of God so that we'd realize that when we say we won't be judged or we need to judge ourselves, we'll realize all those various contexts. What's the exhortation? Well, there's two exhortations here. These last three judgments, which we've gone through rather quickly, the judgment of Israel, the judgment of the Gentiles, and the judgment of the wicked dead. Let me tell you, if you find yourself worried about either of those categories of being unbelieving Israel, an unbelieving Gentile, that you are going to be cast forever into the lake of fire, if you're concerned about that, that is a God-given concern. One of the things God has done is he has sent his Holy Spirit to this earth to convict you of judgment. The impending judgment do you because our Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins. So if you're worried about a future judgment, then let me tell you what the Scripture says. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Change your mind about him. God commands all men everywhere to change their minds about the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe in him. You say, well, gee, I don't know if I can believe in him. God would not command you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if he wasn't going to give you the understanding and the faith to know that's exactly what you need to do. 
so I'm not concerned about it. Now, my Christian brother, what about you? If you're concerned, you say, I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't feel very good about the way it would be for me if it happened just now. Well, then, examine yourself. Do what the Scripture says. Examine yourself. Find yourself guilty where needed. Plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, he died for your sins. You know that. And walk in a way to keep a clear conscience. Do it frequently. Confess your sins as often as you do them and need to. And keep a good conscience before God. Well, that's what 1 Corinthians 11 is really all about, is keeping a good conscience so we can have a successful Christian life together. Wonderful thing that God gave us the apostle to write such an epistle so that we could pay attention to it and have a successful experience and a joyful experience at our soon coming, I believe, rendezvous with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 next time, and we've got a very good topic coming up there, spiritual things, positive and negative. Do stay tuned, and may God bless you until next time.